scripture reading this morning is from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, and we're going to actually start with the seventh verse. Listen for the word of God. You used to live this way when you were alive to these things, but now set aside these things such as anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene language. Don't lie to each other. Take off the old human nature with its practices and put on the new nature, which is renewed in knowledge by conforming to the image of the one who created it. In this image, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is in all things and in all people. Therefore, as God's choice, holy and loved, put on compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with one another, and if someone has complaint against you, forgive each other, as the Lord forgave you. And over all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The peace of Christ must control your hearts, a peace into which you were called in one body. And be thankful The word of the Lord must live in you richly. Whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The church in Colossae had a problem. It was an issue which was going to tear the church apart. We don't know what it is. Paul, in chapter 2, calls it a deceitful philosophy. That it had entered the church and it had overwhelmed this community. And it was causing a division in the church. This issue had become the central focus point of the day. It had sowed distrust, arguments, depression. The reader of Colossians never discovers what exactly this deceitful philosophy might be. Now, some arguments, some commentators argue it's a popular Greek philosophy, which had sort of wormed its way in through new converts, while others say it was a profound devotion to pre-existing Jewish beliefs, which contradicted the gospel. But both interpretations are guesses. Paul never explicitly says what the root of the problem is. A couple things are clear in Colossians. This deceitful philosophy is a lie. It may be a comforting lie, but the believers are certain it's true. It was a lie which contradicted the gospel message of grace and freedom in Christ and truth. And whatever lie it was, this deceit was accepted as truth and had supplanted the real truth of the gospel, which should have united the body. Neither group was willing to acknowledge that they were the underlying problem, instead blaming the other. Easier to scapegoat. They all retreated into bunkers to defend their truth, and neither were willing to acknowledge the flaws in their own point of view, or that truth might be found somewhere else entirely. This much is obvious. The deceitful philosophy is weakening the body of Christ. It's overwhelming the bonds which tied the group together. They've accepted lies as truth and used it as a reaping sword against friend and neighbor. 
It's not the issue which is up for debate. It's the way in which it affects the body which concerns Paul. Paul's not much interested in litigating the issue. He's not. Instead, he argues that the problem, the real reason for the division, is the way the issue has become the only standard for inclusion in the group. It's the only lens through which all the members of the body choose to see the world. It's a smokescreen. It colors their interpretation of every issue. This lie had replaced Christ as the cornerstone of the church. The body was split into my side and your side, obscuring the unity found in their shared baptism and their work together. It had become the only issue of their time together, and it threatened to cut ties. This problem of blindness towards our own bias and our vulnerability to being hoodwinked by attractive lies, which confirm our prior beliefs or interpretations, it's rampant throughout human existence. From church to work to relationships to politics, we are always much quicker to see the ways we are separate, different, the ways we are more right than the other. Then we are to recognize the ways we are all interpreting events through a predetermined lens. And because of that predetermined lens, our interpretation might be wrong. Or we buy too easily into stories and constructed realities which fit comfortably into how we'd like to understand a given situation. We convince ourselves it's truth because that is comfortable. And so it plays out like this. An event occurs or a controversial issue comes up. It's a difficult, thorny problem with multiple right choices or more likely no right choices. But many choices that are the best we can do right now. There's little obvious objective truth to be found, at least at the beginning of it. And so to deal with our uncertainty, we retreat to our comfortable corners of pre-existing belief. And so one group advocates for one response. And so the other groups quickly labels them as silly, bleeding heart liberals. They're just communists anyway, we think. And so the group which believes they are righteous and against whatever this first group decides on is against it on principle. And so conversely, the first group lumps all the other people into a group of non-thinking, non-feeling, heartless people who are anti-science or reason or love or whatever the issue is of the day. And so both sides dismiss the other as evil, without truth, collectively bad, rotten at the heart. Neither listens or is open to changing their mind or reevaluating their stances because they don't want to be lumped in with those evil people. And so both groups have bought into that philosophy, that lie of exclusive right to truth. And so what ends up happening is we don't talk about any of it. We go off into our respective corners and we complain about the other side. And we spread gossip or we bury hurt and anger into detachment and isolation. Why would I want to talk to stubborn, evil people anyway? And we further isolate. We grow more and more distanced, ever more convinced of our own rightness. This dynamic is at play everywhere. We could all of us name four or five issues off the top of our head where this problem has come up just today. And we buy into the lie and further entrench ourselves. And that is no less at play anywhere than in the church.
Here's one example commentator David French lifted up this morning. He said, this summer we saw a series of riots which resulted in broken windows, chaos in the streets, and feelings of unsettled despair. Some people argued those riots weren't justified. They were a disproportional response to years of oppression at the hand of the state. While those who defended the rioters said they were acting out their rage and frustration. This week we saw a riot which resulted in broken windows and chaos and violence and feelings of unsettled despair, leading to five deaths, including a police officer. Some people have argued those riots weren't justified because they were based on a terrible lie or an even wilder belief that a, co a cobble of cannibal pedophiles control Washington. And those who defended the rioters said that they were acting out their rage and frustration. Sound familiar? I'm not saying there aren't objective real concerns at play or that one side isn't more right than the other side. I have my opinions, I'm sure you do. What I'm saying is we are awfully willing to excuse behaviors and personalities that align with our pre-existing worldview, even when they contradict the message of the gospel. And we are awfully quick to denigrate each other for holding opposing views. Our friends in real life or on Facebook, for most of us, are not rioters. They are our friends. And they are claimed by God. And when we worship together, they sit at this table with us and in these pews with us. Does our language and attitude reflect that truth? What if all of this backbiting and blaming and isolation is all a philosophy of lies? What if God has nailed all our anger and hurt and self-righteousness to the cross, setting all of that stuff aside? What if God is calling us to a more important project than our own self-confirmation? Christ is the head of the whole body of believers, every one of them, even the ones you don't like. From Presbyterians to Catholics to Pentecostals to whomever, Christ died on that cross for every one of them. Every one of them, whether Republican or Democrat or Socialist or Libertarians or whatever new philosophy might rise up in the future. And Christ calls us together, all people from all nations and places and rightness and wrongness or whatever category you want to label them. If Christ is the head of the whole body, that changes everything. It means that the one body takes priority over our cliques and the categories we use to divide ourselves. No, you may not agree with every decision that the body makes, but if we place Christ at the center of that body, then we will be able to approach the decisions with attitudes of grace in an attempt to understand a desire to look for reconciliation and reunion. It means we lay aside the divisions we find within our own souls and step out of our echo chamber, the one that reverberates with the truth that we already believe until it becomes a lie. If Christ is at the center of the body, it means when we come to the table where Christ eats and sits down with whatever neighbors we find on our left and on our right. If Christ is the center of our faith and our lives and our experience together, then the other stuff fades into the background a bit because we have hold of something so much more valuable, more precious, a truth that is greater than words of deceit and distrust.
It means we come to the table with our hearts open and our ears listening for the truth which God speaks, which wipes away the lies of division. We speak with truth and honesty, trusting one another to hold those words in a place of love and grace. We see this unity spoken most plainly in the sacraments. As we come to the table of God this morning, we come united with Christ's body throughout the world, throughout this community, throughout this church family. We all come to the same table. We all hear the same words spoken and receive the same gift of God's grace as shown in font and table. We don't get to choose who sits at the table with us because that is not our place to decide. We are in the midst of those people, the ones we distrust, the ones about whom we've accepted the lie. And when the time comes to gather, we come vulnerable to the reality of receiving the same blessings as the people we believe to be evil at the core. We say thanks be to God and we turn and we open a space for the goofy people, the crazy people, the ones who kind of smell bad, the ones outside of our group, out of our clique, out of our own like-minded space. Christ is present at the table and is inviting you to be open to hear the words that God speaks to your heart, to approach the throne of grace and hear truth speak. I pray that when you come, you are open to hearing words that may be uncomfortable, that when you join with others at the table, you give thanks that God saved them too. How much does our life change our attitude change if we put Christ at the center. Amen. God, welcome.